But I think at this time with COVID-19, people will try to conserve cash and invest it in their primary business. So that's why they'll go to third-party financing where they could save money. Hi, this is Benoit Thanjan, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm excited because we've reached episode 75, which is a big milestone. And this episode is called Mid-Year Solar Trends 2020. I would like to thank our listeners who we call Mavericks for supporting the podcast and listening. We would not have gotten to this point without you. So thank you. I really appreciate it. If you have any feedback on the podcast, please reach out to us at info at renewenergy.com. That's R-E-N-E-U energy.com. And we'll get back to you as soon as we can. I would also like to thank our sponsors, guests, and my other co-hosts who've been on the podcast. I would also like to thank Kevin Y. Brown, who's the executive producer of the podcast and his company, Podcast Laundry, that do a great job with strategy and editing of the podcast. This is actually the first episode that I'm co-hosting without a guest or a co-host where I'm just the only person on the podcast. So let me know if you like this format. We're always trying to come up with different things to do and unique things and bring different topics and guests. So obviously feel free to reach out to us with feedback that you have. My company is Renew Energy. We're a solar consulting and development company. We're focused on developing commercial, industrial, and utility-scale projects in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. If you're a building owner or landowner and interested in solar, please contact us. We also help developers with financing their solar projects. We manage environmental commodities called SRECs for our clients. And we also do research on different state markets. You could call us at 201-743-9533 or reach out to us at the info at Renew Energy email. I'm excited actually with some great news in the renewable energy industry. This was actually released by the U.S. Energy Information Administration. It's called the EIA in their monthly energy review. And they basically said in 2019, U.S. annual energy consumption from renewable sources exceeded coal consumption for the first time since before 1885, which is huge. This outcome mainly reflects the continued decline in the amount of coal used for electricity generation over the past decade, as well as the growth of renewables, mostly wind and solar. Compared with 2018, coal consumption in the U.S. decreased nearly 15%, and total renewable energy growth grew by 1%. It's interesting because historically wood was the main source of U.S. energy until the mid-1800s and was the only commercial scale renewable source of energy in the United States until the first hydropower plants began producing electricity in the 1880s. Coal was used in the early 1800s as fuel for steamboats, trains, and making steel and was later used for electricity in the 1880s. Wood is usually taking wood waste and wood chips and burning it to generate electricity. So if you haven't heard of wood and why that was the most popular energy resource at that time. It also produced steam as well, but that's a huge achievement for renewables. I think it's going to continue as the cost 
to generate renewables continue to go down. Obviously, natural gas as well has been historically low, which has been keeping electricity prices low, and that's made it difficult for coal to compete. And let's get into it. I say that in the podcast all the time, and it's funny how people say that to me when they meet me in person. We actually created a podcast in the beginning of the year, which was episode 63, came out in January. It was called Solar Predictions and Trends. It's just amazing like how much has changed in a half a year. We're now in June and primarily due to the COVID pandemic. And that's really impacted the solar industry. COVID-19 has slowed down development and construction of solar projects. There's also been a lot of people who have lost their jobs in the solar industry. Obviously, almost every industry has been affected by COVID-19 and the solar industry has extremely been affected by it. We actually came out with an episode 72 that goes into more details about this. It's called COVID-19 Impacts on the Solar Industry. Permitting and utility inspections have been delayed. Construction in some states was not happening because they deemed solar construction non-essential. Like for example, in New York with their pause program, but in New Jersey, solar was being built. Also, we're finding that it's harder to sell to customers during this time because you can't meet with them, whether that be a residential customer, business owner, or a landowner. We think though in the future, more things will happen virtually. Specifically, we think people will get more comfortable doing sales virtually. Also permitting an inspection, utility inspection, I think will also move to a virtual environment, especially as more people are working from home. I think there's going to be a shift in that or corporate employees are not required to be in the office every day and they have to be able to work from home as well. So having the proper documents and video conferencing software and all the applications for them to be able to work from home. So I think we're going to see, and we have seen so far, people moving virtually pretty quickly, as well as like networking. And then it's amazing to see conferences have moved virtually online in a very quick time period. And I think that's going to be a continuous sort of trend. And it's interesting because you're able to then be more flexible based on attending conferences, because you could pretty much attend from anywhere. And then you don't have the same, obviously, cost required with the travel-related costs to attend the conference, both airfare, hotel, or other means of transportation. It was interesting as well, the Solar Energy Association, which is SIA, which is the leading solar lobbying group, had some key takeaways about COVID-19. Due to COVID-19 pandemic, the outlook for solar has changed dramatically. Through June of 2020, the industry will employ 188,000 workers rather than 302,000 that was originally forecasted, which is a 38% decline. These losses would negate five years of solar growth, pushing the workforce back to levels not seen since 2014. The U.S. will install just three gigawatts of solar capacity in Q2 of this year, which is a 30% decline from pre-COVID forecast. The Q2 solar deployment losses are equivalent to powering 288,000 homes and 3.2 billion economic investment. Obviously, this has had a huge impact on the industry. I think we'll obviously learn more as the months progress, the impact that COVID has on the solar industry. One of the big incentives for solar 
is the 26% investment tax credit. It is a credit towards a tax liability. It's usually a third party that takes advantage of it. Usually banks, corporate companies, a lot of tech companies have tax equity appetites, family offices, high net worth individuals. From my conversations, tax equity investors are waiting to the third quarter of this year to determine whether they want to commit for projects next year because they're not sure what their taxable income will be because of the impact of COVID-19 on their businesses. I think what we're going to see too as well, tax equity investors will require a high return on their investment going forward. SIA and other solar lobbying groups are suggesting a cash grant instead of the investment tax credit. And that, I think, would make it a lot easier to finance projects that would also lower the cost of capital. I think you would see a lot of development of projects because of that. And I think it's challenging to have a tax incentive to be a part of the solar finance and capital stack, especially during a time where companies' income is contracting. After the 2008 recession, President Obama passed the 1603 Arrera grant, which was a 30% cash grant. And that actually had a huge impact on developing and construction of a lot of solar projects. Obviously, I think it would be very beneficial for the solar industry if it's passed, but I think it's doubtful with the current administration and we'll, we'll see what happens. The other interesting thing was the IRS provided a safe hire and the U.S. Treasury are basically providing a safe harbor for taxpayers that develop renewable energy projects. What they've done is in notice 2020-41, they've provided a three and a half month safe harbor for services and property paid for the taxpayer on or after September 16th, 2019 and received by October 15th. This basically helps as a result of the pandemic, giving solar companies more time to qualify for this important credit. What this is really about is a lot of solar companies basically safe harbored panels, usually 5% of the cost of the construction to basically qualify for the 30% investment tax credit. And then they're supposed to actually pay for that property and receive that property within a certain period of time. But with the pandemic, things have slowed down. So the IRS has given an extension to that, which is great for obviously the different solar developers who did that safe harboring strategy to have the 30% investment tax credit. That was last year qualified for stuff that they're hoping to complete construction this year versus having a 26% investment tax credit. One of the things that I think is going to be popular post-COVID is I think third-party financing will become more popular for residential customers and commercial industrial customers. If you don't know what third-party financing or third-party owned or TPO is, basically the customer signs a power purchase agreement. So instead of owning the project, they will actually get a discount to their current electricity cost. And energy costs are one of the biggest expenses 
that residential and CNI business owners have. But I think at this time with COVID-19, people will try to conserve cash and invest it in their primary business. So that's why I think they'll go to a third party financing where they could save money. And actually this point was actually reiterated with the interview that I did on episode 74 of the Solar Maverick podcast with Nate Giovanelli, who works for IGS Solar, and they invest in residential and CNI solar projects. And he talked about how he sees third-party ownership becoming more popular post-COVID. This episode is about the impacts of COVID-19 on residential solar and other interesting topics. He also mentioned how IGS closed their tax equity fund in the beginning of March pre-COVID, so he thought that that was a huge competitive advantage that IGS has, you know, because before I was mentioning how there's uncertainty with some tax equity players with their tax equity appetite and whether they're going to commit to it. I also think, which we've seen too, that states will pass incentives for renewables, specifically solar, to stimulate state economies post-COVID-19. We've actually already seen this already been happening in April and May. New York basically created an office to site a large-scale renewable energy projects quicker. Also, Massachusetts doubled their SMART program, which is their incentive program to stimulate the economy post-COVID. And Virginia passed 100% renewable energy goals. And I think we're going to see that continue going forward. I think there could be some challenges with state governments and them having budget issues because of COVID-19. But I think definitely this is another trend that we'll see Also, in the prior podcast that we did in January, we talked about some other trends that I still think are going to be very popular. It's just going to take more time. Obviously, a lot of states and companies now have 100% renewable energy goals. I think that will continue to happen. Other states and other companies will do that. I think as well, solar plus storage will exponentially increase and as well, standalone storage. I actually interviewed in a podcast episode that will be coming out in the near future. Kelly Speaks Bachman, who's the CEO of the Energy Storage Association, and she talks about how solar plus storage and standalone storage is going to be growing exponentially in the U.S. I've also actually seen as well a lot of projects now are early stage projects where they're trying to couple storage with solar, specifically in New York, related to their VEDER program, VEDER is a value of distributed energy resources. They provide additional value if you have a battery and then as well in the SMART program in Massachusetts with solar combined with solar, there's an adder for storage. And the other thing too, which we mentioned as well, community solar we think is going to continue to grow in other states states that don't have community solar legislation. We think it's going to grow in states that already have it. For example, New Jersey has a pilot program and they should be releasing uh, very shortly the second year of the pilot program. We think it potentially could be greater than the 75 megawatts that they have allocated for the pilot. And we think that if you're not familiar with community solar, it's basically taking a utility scale project and then selling the energy to residential customers and businesses in the utility service area. 
And it's pretty popular with politicians because it allows people who could not normally get solar have access to solar. A lot of these community solar programs are requiring an LMI component, meaning low moderate income housing or individuals and households could access the community solar program. We're actually developing a project where we're working with the housing authority in New York where there is an LMI component community solar project. So we definitely think those trends that we mentioned in our 2020 trends in January are still going to hold true. And that's pretty much what we're seeing for mid-year solar trends 2020. We'll keep you updated. Obviously, a lot of it has been about COVID-19. I think we're going to have obviously more clarity as time goes on during this year, and we'll definitely keep you informed. I know our listeners, our Mavericks, have said that they enjoy when we provide like book recommendations or suggestions about living or things that we're doing in our lives. I actually read two interesting articles from Forbes and Psychology Today about staying positive during the pandemic. I'll also put the links as well in the notes of the podcast. I've been working from home for about now it's 11 weeks, which it's amazing how time flies by. It also seems like an extremely long time as well. But they basically gave suggestions on how to stay positive during it. And when I'm telling you this, is also giving things that has helped me as well during this time. It's focusing on what you can control. There's a lot of things, and most of us are realizing this now in our life that we can control. So we should just focus on what we can control. And really the best way to do that is taking action and basically taking action that will lead to positive steps in your life, both career and personal. As far as like from a work perspective, what I like to do is I do a daily to-do list, but then I have a to-do list where I say, these are the top three things that I need to get done today and will have the most impact for me. So I try to get those done first because it gets harder to get things done as it gets later in the day, at least for me. Like I get more efficient in the mornings than say the afternoon or evenings. And I try to do that the day before just because I feel like I've accomplished something and I'm ready to get into my next day. And then they were also suggesting limiting your media intake. Obviously, the media tends to focus on the negative and not the positive. So like, for example, what I do is I don't actually really watch the news or anything like that. I really just look once a day on some websites to get an update of what's happening in the world. And I think that's very helpful. They also in both articles talk about gratitude which I know I've mentioned in prior podcasts, the first thing to do every morning is write three things that you're happy about and that you're grateful for. And that tends to then help throughout the day. They also suggest incorporating meditation. And I've spoken to this as well in the podcast. I think meditation has really helped me as well, um, really be more relaxed and to think through situations better. I use the Headspace app. There's also the Calm app and there's a lot of other apps. There's a lot of books and there's a lot of different ways to meditate. So it's really up to you what you would like to do. Look to your past. So get hope from your past resilience. A lot of times we think like we're in this very unique situation, but we've all endured in our lives, different unforeseen major life disruptors. Some examples are 9-11, major hurricanes, and you made it through, you're stronger because of it, and know that you'll get through this. Remind yourself of your resilience on a regular basis. 
Also invest in the uplifting. So surrounding yourself with uplifting media, people and activities that could basically encourage a more optimistic and joyful mindset, even in the face of stress and loss. And also setting up a routine, you know, set a personal schedule and goals, use your time wisely, stick to a routine and be productive, help promote a sense of hope in your life and that your life is progressing. That's like going to bed and going to sleep at the same times, doing the same things, like maybe like working out as well. They mentioned as well, working out could be from another article, very helpful to be positive during this time. I hope that you found this beneficial and I hope you found the podcast helpful. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. Thank you again and look forward to the next episode. Have a great day.